Certainly uh, seems like it's enough to raise the dead, uh, that song. So. <clears throat> Thankfully, Christ did rise that glorious morning. <clears throat> well, we're just concluding this morning in the series that we've been doing on Psalm 23. This is the sixth part in this psalm, as we conclude with the last two verses of this psalm. So let's pray. <clears throat> Father God, we thank you that we can be here today and just to rejoice in all that you have done and just remember the wonderful realities and truths of the gospel message. And we thank you, Lord, that you sustain us and you encourage us. We pray that this morning we might be encouraged to live for you, to trust you, depend upon you and to rejoice in what you have blessed us with as we live on this earth and know that we will experience to fuller and greater measure when we move into eternity. Uh, Lord, we ask these things in your name. Amen. So we've been giving attention to probably the most well-known and well-loved passage of Scripture, other than maybe John 3.16. Psalm 23 uh, is shared in many places and many unbelievers hear that psalm and know that psalm and uh, it's often shared at funeral services but it's uh, so much more than just um, to, to bring comfort to those who are mourning or grieving. Um, it's a, a great psalm to remind us of a relationship of our creator that he wants to have with his people and to have with us. And so we continue looking at what we consider in this psalm and um, you see this wonderful sheep, shepherd sheep metaphor uh, that the Lord is David's shepherd and David is the sheep as he draws this picture for us. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And the Lord is the shepherd of all who can truly say, He is my shepherd. This expression that David gives to us here. Uh, it just reminds us of the personal relationship that God had, that David had with his God, and the personal relationship that we can have with our God, to know Him personally. Different to all other religions, who have a view of God as distant and removed and far away, uh, looking down with um, judgment upon this world and. Uh, and we know that we have a God who, who loves us, a God who will judge the world for its rebellion against him, but gives us opportunity to know him personally. And that's a, the great picture that David is drawing for us here. In verse 4 he says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. As David speaks in the first and second person here, he's saying, I, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil for you, my shepherd, my Lord, my God, are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. As David's speaking uh, to God himself as he uses those words. And so we see this personal relationship that David experiences with his God. And for you who can say, I am in relationship with God, this shepherd, 
because I have believed in and put my trust in Jesus Christ, the sacrificial lamb who has paid the penalty for my sins when he gave his life on the cross, because he says to us, I am the good shepherd in John 10, 11. And we, we see this um, reason for his coming, the good shepherd coming, because we are all like sheep who have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, as Isaiah reminds us in Isaiah 53, 6. And so the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And this description in the first four verses offers a, a beautiful picture of God who cares for his own, the love and tenderness and compassion of a shepherd towards his lambs is, is difficult to comprehend. But as we look at the last two verses of, of the psalm, the metaphor sort of appears to change. Um, some would say that it uh, continues with the shepherd-sheep imagery, um, but there seems to be a, a bit of a shift to another picture that he's painting for us here, and that is the, the picture of a, a host with his guests. A host with his guests. So this morning I just want to look uh, briefly at both of those uh, word pictures which we have to parallel them to draw the most that we can from this passage and section of scripture. So in verse 5 he says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. So let's consider that from a shepherd picture, shepherd and sheep picture. And from the view of the sheep, this is a descriptive picture of a shepherd diligently searching and finding beautiful foods that the sheep can richly enjoy at their leisure. There is sufficient pasture for all the sheep and there's no sense of competition but they can graze to their heart's content and if you've seen a flock of sheep uh, grazing like that with plenty of grass to chew on you see that sense of contentedness but if you consider a flock of sheep during a drought uh, you see them running around uh, pursuing the bare minimum of opportunities that they have to to glean some food and if you're feed, hand feeding stock well then you realize that they're all fighting each other in a sense to get uh, to the source of food um, a very different picture than when there is abundance of grass for them to eat and so here the picture is that he has gone before to prepare the way for the sheep you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies he's gone ahead to clear the the ground of poisonous weeds to get rid of the burrs and the those things that are detrimental to his his flock and the preparation process for the shepherd is, is sometimes extremely hard work the shepherd will go to great lengths to endeavor the flock would not suffer uh, under any untoward harm when moving on to the new grounds that he was leading them to and jesus gives us an extension of this great image of the shepherd and the sheep in John chapter 10, which I'm sure we're very familiar with, but just uh, recapping there, John 10 verses 2 to 4, and Jesus says, But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the door doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his 
voice. And so here we have this picture of the shepherd going before the sheep. He leads the way. He's, he's preparing the way before they come behind him. And Jesus gives that picture as well uh, in there in John chapter 10. In the presence of his enemies, of, of my enemies, refers to the fact that the shepherd is with them, protecting them from any of the predators. They've got confidence in their master to keep the enemies as mere observers rather than able to attack them. So he's protecting them as he leads his flock onwards so that they're not able to be disturbed or interfered with by the predators and enemies of them. Now, if we consider the picture that we're given here from the perspective of a host with his guests, then we see the, this consummate host who is providing this lavish meal to his guests so that they have all that is required and more than they could ever hope for. This is like a banquet table with so much food on it that we can't even begin to make a dent in it. This food provi provided for uh, to the honoured guest. And if we consider this in the, an Eastern culture perspective, the hospitality in the Eastern culture uh, overshadows everything else. People are extremely hospitable, uh, they're generous, and when a person is extended hospitality to another, then no one can interfere uh, with that person. Even the enemies of that person has to wait until that hospitality is over. They cannot intervene while that hospitality is being shown to that guest. J.H. Jowett says this about it. He says, Eastern hospitality guarantees the security of the guest. All the hallowed sanctions of hospitality gather around him for his defence. He is taken into the tent, food is placed before him, while his evaded pursuers stand frowningly at the door. And so the spiritual application here can be drawn from both these pictures that we have of the psalmist uh, that he's painted for us, the shepherd and the sheep and the host and the guest. And the table speaks to us of all these wonderful provisions that God has made for his children. The spiritual provisions and oftentimes the physical blessings that we have received at the hand of our gracious and loving shepherd and host. Some of those blessings he speaks about in the scriptures the Apostle Paul identifies for us in Ephesians chapter, chapter 1. And from verses 3 onwards, and he tells us that in Christ we have bestowed on us every spiritual blessing that God has. There is nothing that God wants to hold back from his children. All that is in the heavenly places God has made available to us. And Ephesians describes the, many of those blessings that have been lavished on us by a generous and loving God. Consider these for a moment. He says to us in uh, in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And he mentions many things. In verse 5 he says, uh, Having been predestined to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. We are adopted into his family when we uh, trust in Jesus Christ as our Saviour and Lord. We are made to be sons and daughters of the living God. 
He goes on to say in, um, in verse 7, he says, In him we have redemption through his blood. We were just singing that song, Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. Uh, the redemption that we have in Jesus Christ, that he poured his blood out for us so that we might be redeemed, bought back from the bondage of the slave market of sin so that we are set free to be with our Heavenly Father. We're adopted, we are redeemed. He mentions in verse 7 also that we are forgiven. We have the forgiveness of sins. The wonderful reality of knowing that there's no more debt to pay to God for our transgressions against him. He has set us free from that debt. He also says it's because of the riches of his grace, the unmerited favour that he bestows upon us, that we are undeserving and yet he pours out this grace upon us so that we are welcomed into his family when we should be damned to hell. What an amazing reality of God's riches, of his grace towards us. He says that we have, in verse 11, we have an inheritance. In him, in Christ, we've also obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. We, an inherent, inheritance is something that we normally get further down the track. It's something that's still coming. Often at the end of somebody else's life, maybe towards the end of our life, we might receive a, an inheritance. And it's a reminder that we can look forward to something in the future. And God has got an inheritance for us which is still beyond this life. It's not in this life. It's when we pass this life on into eternity, we will experience a greater inheritance that God has for us even beyond what he's blessed us with now. Verses 13 and 14, he says, In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. We've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. That means that we have a guarantee of the future that he's promised us. He gives us the Holy Spirit to live inside of us so that we might know his presence, that we might experience his power, that we might enjoy his fellowship here and now but to know that there is this guarantee that we'll be with him forever because he's given us the holy spirit and then in chapter 2 verse 5 he says that we were once dead but now have been made alive even when we were dead in trespasses made us alive together with christ by grace you have been saved and so we've been raised from the dead spiritually speaking we have be made alive to Christ. We have new life in him, a glorious new eternal life. So these are just some of the blessings that God has given to his children. These are some of, some of the inheritance that we have, some of the joy that we can experience through knowing this God as our own. These are some of the spiritual provisions that he has bestowed upon us such undeserving recipients. And it's not because we have any merit in and of ourselves, but it's purely because of his grace and his love bestowed upon us that he's imputed these blessings to our account. He says, You prepare a table before me in the presence 
of my enemies. We see the preparation process of, uh, of this table. It's got wonderful benefits to it in Christ, but we cannot forget the cost that enabled us to be the recipients of God's goodness and grace. Just as there is a cost to a host of any meal in time and money uh, to prepare the table for the guests, so there is too a greater cost for our Heavenly Father who has made these spiritual blessings available to us, each one. The Lord Jesus has gone ahead of us to prepare the way. He's confronted the enemies, Satan and his demons, by offering up his life as a sacrifice to pay the price of sin. And he has paid for all sin for all time so that Satan's power has been conquered. And now because of that, we're offered these spiritual benefits that flow from our sin penalty being paid for. We can experience and enjoy the blessings of God without cost to ourselves, but with great cost to our host. And so as Christians, each one of us who is a believer this morning, we are the recipients of God's grace, and that grace is extended to anyone who will receive it. That offer of salvation is available to all who will look to the Saviour and find in him the salvation that he offers. And so for believers, we have been called as invited guests to the table to this ultimate banquet. And this banquet that is described is a picture of the blessings we have now, but it's also a picture of something that's to come in the future and described for us in the book of Revelation, chapter 19 and verses 6 to 9, where it talks about uh, the banquet feast, the marriage supper of the Lamb that believers will be a part of. And uh, let me just read that to you. Revelation 19, verses 6 to 9. And I heard, as it were, this is in heaven, I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, Write, Blessed are all those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. This is this wonderful picture of all believers of all time gathered together part of the church, the bride of Christ, uh, being welcomed into the presence of God to celebrate all that he has done to invite us to that wedding feast through his son. We'll be part of that great celebration supper in heaven. And we will see the shepherd and the host in all his glory and worship him for all that he is and all that he has done. Well, here at the end of Psalm 23, David writes, You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We see this anointing of his head with oil. Often uh, there was anointing, in, particularly in Old Testament times, uh, of, it's usually olive oil that they used, sometimes other ingredients. And uh, in the context of, of sheep, it was used uh, to soothe sores and wounds. 
and it kept insects at bay, uh, flies and other parasites. And we see the, the picture of anointing taking place uh, in numerous situations throughout the scriptures, not only in the context of a shepherd and a sheep in a literal practical sense, but we see it in the context of the priests uh, who were appointed by God uh, of the Aaronic priesthood, sons of Aaron, and uh, they were anointed with oil to um, celebrate and to re remember the consecration process of being set aside for serving God. Exodus chapter 29, we read about the priests who were anointed with oil for that role that God had given them. We also see of kings in the scripture that were anointed, uh, and it speaks of their coronation, uh, being set apart for the role of being a king over the land, over the nation of Israel, particularly in, the, particularly in this context. We see how David was anointed as king, and even though he didn't take up the role of his kingship for a while to come, uh, he was anointed uh, by Samuel there as the king of, of Israel. And then in the New Testament, we read of believers being anointed. In 1 John chapter 2 and verse 27. And sometimes people speak of the, the anointing of the Holy Spirit as being something special that certain believers get, uh, but others may not. Um, but when we read 1 John chapter 2, verse 27, we see that John is speaking about all believers receive the anointing which God gives of his spirit upon them because we have put our faith in Jesus Christ. And uh, John speaks to his readership and he says, But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true and is not a lie and just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. And so John makes no distinction about his readership other than the fact that they are believers in Christ. They have received the anointing of the Holy Spirit upon their lives because God has given his spirit without measure to all who have trusted in his son. David speaks of the goodness and mercy that will be his forever. And he tries to describe this amazing love and mercy of and the goodness of God in verse 6, his shepherd and his host. And he speaks of the unconditional love of God, which is almost indescribable. The, the word for mercy, some translations will use steadfast love, um, but it's a word in the... Old Testament hesed which uh, is very difficult to translate because it's so encompassing of the magnitude of the love and the grace and the mercy of God that he pours out upon his people. And David is here expressing the lengths that God has gone to to reach out to us lost sinners how it is beyond description. Surely the goodness and mercy of God shall follow me. We don't deserve it. In fact, we deserve the punishment for our sins. We deserve to be separated from God forever. But he's reached down in his mercy and rescued us. And uh, I love the, um, 
the reading of Ephesians chapter 2 that um, we find in the, the message translation, and it goes like this. It wasn't so long ago that you were mired in that old stagnant life of sin. You let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, to tell you how to live. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and then exhaled disobedience. We all did it, all of us doing what we felt like doing, when we felt like doing it, all of us in the same boat. It's a wonder God didn't lose his temper and do away with the whole lot of us. Instead, immense in mercy and with incredible love, he embraced us. He took our sin-dead lives and made us alive in Christ. He did all this on his own with no help from us. Then he picked us up and set us down in the highest heaven in company with Jesus, our Messiah. Now God has us where he wants us, with all the time in this world and the next, to shower grace and kindness upon us in Christ Jesus. David finishes by revealing that he is not just a guest for a day with the Lord, but he is a guest forever in the presence of God, for the duration of this life and on into eternity. No wonder he exclaims in verse 5, my cup runs over. My cup is overflowing with the blessings of God and the recognition of those blessings. What a joy it is to know this God as our shepherd and our host. God has blessed us immensely, yet how often do we murmur and complain? How often do we, do we become short-sighted? How often do we forget all that we have in Jesus Christ? How often do we neglect in the light of the riches we have in Jesus Christ to live in the light of that? Instead, we sometimes live in the poverty rags of our old life. We have so much to be thankful for. We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Let us Rejoice, let us give thanks to God, let us be grateful, let us worship our God and our Redeemer, our Shepherd and our Host forever. I love the words of Annie Johnson Flint when she wrote that old hymn, His love has no limit, his grace has no measure, his power has no boundary known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. Let's pray. Lord, we are the recipients of great blessing. Sometimes our eyes are blinded by it. Sometimes we choose not to see it. But Lord, thank you for all that you have done. We thank you for all that you are. You're so deserving of our praise and our honour and our worship. You're the almighty God who created the whole universe, brought us into being and created a life for us. And even out of the rebellion of our individual choices, you have allowed us to find forgiveness in Jesus Christ. 
We thank you this morning for this wonderful plan of redemption, of salvation, to restore people back to yourself into relationship. Lord, help us not to run away from you, but to run towards you, to realise that you have open arms ready to receive us at any time. Thank you for the fact that your love has no limit, your grace has no measure, and your power has no boundary known unto men. Lord, we pray that you would keep reaching out to people, even through us. May we be the conduits by which people can come to understand and know about this wonderful Saviour who has given his life for us. Lord, we say thank you in his wonderful name. Amen.